Masechet Nedarim, Daf Mem. Uh, we have a few more agadot about the value of Bikur Cholim, visiting the sick. And we're going to see also an uh, important halacha regarding whether you can use a river as a mikveh. We begin with the story, Rav Chelbo Halash, Rav Chelbo well, became sick, he's a third generation Amora who moved from Babel to Eretz Yisrael. Nefak Achrez Rav Kahana, and so Rav Kahana went and announced that Rav Chelbo is sick. Rav Chelbo Ba'ish, that's what he announced. La'ika deka ba'eh, nevertheless, no one came to visit Rav Chelbo. And so Rav Kana told the sages rebuking them because none of them came. Uh, if you're wondering why no one came to visit Rav Chilbo, uh, it really doesn't explain here. It's possible that Rav Chilbo had some kind of contagious disease and so nobody wanted to. They were all afraid to visit him. Uh, whatever the reason is, uh, Rav, uh, Rav Kahana's friend thought that this was a problem, and therefore he retold the following story about Rabbi Akiva uh, way back, the third generation Tana, uh, where there was a certain student of the students of Rabbi Akiva who became sick. And no one came to visit him, maybe for the same reason, that they were afraid they would catch it. He was brave and felt that visiting sick is more important. And because Rabbi Akiva was coming, so then the people in the house of the sick student, they said, oh, Rabbi Akiva is coming. We better, we better honor him. And so they swept and they sprinkled water. They had dirt floors in those days. And so to make the floor nice and straight, they would sweep and put water so the dust would all go down. Because they did that, uh, the kid actually got better. He was sick, but his sickness was uh, being exacerbated by the dirt all over and the dust in the room. And so when they cleaned up, for Rabbi Akiva ends up helping the sick student and he got better. My Lord, Rabbi, and so the student said, Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, my teacher, you have, uh, you have revived me, literally. Rabbi Akiva learned from that and taught anyone who does not go and visit the sick, it's as if he is spilling blood. That's what Afkana told his friends his colleagues, that uh, everyone should now go visit Rav Chelbo. Uh, one of the reasons is because by visiting the sick, then you notice their needs. I mean, one is to cheer them up. Another reason is to pray on their behalf. But yet another reason is like, oh, this person needs something. And then you can attend to their needs, their medical needs, their physical needs, their food, whatever it is. And actually, that will help them get better. A similar teaching, Rav Dimi, when he came from Eretz Yisrael, taught that anyone who visits the sick causes him to live, and anyone who does not visit the sick causes the person to die. Now we ask, what will cause this and that? Has he help him get well? Maybe it means that when you visit the sick, then you see his predicament, and that will prompt you to pray for him. And by praying for him to live, that will cause him to live. And then the opposite of that would be, anyone who does not visit the sick will pray for the person to die. Maybe he's not visiting him because he doesn't like the person and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't care if he died. And so he may be even praying that he dies. And that's why by not visiting, 
he is causing the person to die. But that doesn't make sense. So you really think that the person is going to pray for the other one to die? That doesn't make sense. A lot of most, most of the time, if you don't visit someone, it's because uh, you're lazy, or you're not in the mood, or you don't maybe, maybe you don't really care about the person. But uh, it, it takes a lot to go out of your way to go pray for the person to die. So that's not that can't be what would have would have Dimi meant. Rather, the problem is that if some if you don't go visit the sick, then you're not going to pray for the person at all, not to live and not to die. But now he's going to be lacking prayers to live, and that will indirectly cause the person to die. Therefore, it's good to pray, it's good to visit the sick, and that will prompt you to pray on his behalf, because if you don't visit him, then you're not going to pray at all, and that will not then not give him that benefit. Of having those prayers to live, and then he may die. Rava Yoma Kadma Ade Khalisha Malehon, Lotigluli Inish, Dela Litra Mazale. Rava, his practice on the first day that he felt sick, he would not tell anyone um, because he, uh, he, he sorry, rather, on the first day they got sick, he would tell his family, Don't tell anyone about my sickness because he didn't want his lack to go, his luck to go down. Um, uh, some, maybe some kind of superstition, I'm not, uh, not clear why, uh, but maybe, um, maybe uh, uh, psychosomatic or psychological that by announcing that he's sick, then that will make it, make it official that he is actually sick. But you never know, the first day of something that bothers you. A lot of times it just goes away the second day. Just don't pay attention to it, right? And if you all of a sudden now uh, um, uh, um, uh, advertise, tell everyone, oh, I have this sickness, then, then that can actually cause the sickness to, st- sickness to stick and set in. So it's like, it's bad luck, right? Just like, you know, it's a bad luck to, to uh, say uh, about, about yourself that, you know, if, if I would get sick and this and that, uh, you don't want uh, to open the possibility and give thoughts to the Satan or give your own brain uh, thoughts of being sick. So try to deny it for one day and not tell anyone. But that's not really going to work um, if it continues. So, If the sickness continued into a second day, then he would tell his family, go proclaim in the marketplace that I'm sick. He wanted people to know. Why? He says, I want everyone to know, both those that hate me, and they will rejoice, right? They'll say, oh, Rava is sick. Hooray, I hope he doesn't make it. Now, why would that be a benefit to him? Because the Pasuk says that when your enemy is, uh, falls, you should, not, uh, um, you, you should not be happy. So they, if they are happy, that will be a negative to them. And then Hashem will see that and say, listen, you know, maybe uh, this person deserved uh, to be sick for whatever reason, but didn't deserve all these people being uh, uh, up uh, uh, in joy about the person being sick, and so then Hashem may have more mercy on him, people will have more mercy on him, seeing how the enemies are gloating. So the enemies gloating may actually help his cause, and certainly those who like him, those who love him, will hear that he's sick and pray for him. So either way, it will help me, so therefore on the second day and on, go and publicize it. Anyone who visits a sick, 
that person, the visitor, will be saved from Gehinam. We know this because it says, um, Should happy is he that considers the poor, so maskil will be to visit. Now, dal usually means the poor. Here we're going to interpret it to mean the sick. We'll prove that in a second. On the bad day, that means the bad day when he dies and would deserve Gehinam, Hashem will save him from Gehinam. Now, let's see these words. En dal ela chole. Dal only means chole. When the, when the rabbis say en dal, en this word, ela, it doesn't literally mean that that's the only meaning. In fact, the more common meaning of dal is a financially poor person, <clears throat> but it means that it could also mean someone who's lacking in health. Because we see in Chizkiah, King Chizkiah, when he became sick, he prayed to get better, and he said, Middala, from being in the state of Dal. So he wasn't poor, he was still king, but he was sick. So you see, Dal can refer to a sick person. Another proof, or when Yodadav asked Amnon, Amnon was the prince, the son of King, king David, he was sick. In that case, he was lovesick for his half-sister. But anyway, he was sick. And um, Yonadav says, why are you so dull? Now, he was not poor, he was a prince, but he was sick. That's how we know Dal can mean a sick person. And how about Yom uh, Ra'ah? How do you know what that means? Gehinam. And Ra'ah ela Gehinam. Shenemar kol pa'al Hashem lema'anehu v'gam rasha' le'yom Ra'ah. Everything Hashem did was, what did, uh, did, did, it was for his own glory, including that uh, the wicked person, where he goes on the bad day. Where does the wicked person go on the bad day, on the day of his day of punishment? To Gehinam. So here you see that Yom Ra'ah means Gehinam. So to here, uh, happy is the person who uh, goes and pays attention to the sick person and visits him. And on that day, uh, where he may deserve to go to Gainam, Hashem will save the visitor. Good. Now we ask, and if he does visit, what is his reward? Wait, we interrupt this question with another question. Why are you asking now? What his reward is if he visits the sick? What do you mean, what is his reward? His reward is that he gets saved from Gainam. Isn't that enough for you? No, we meant to ask is, what is the reward in this world? I understand the, world, the reward in the next world, but what does he get now? Hashem will preserve him, keep him alive, and he will be called happy, and deliver not you him unto the greed of his enemies. We'll explain each one of these. Hashem will guard him. From what? From his own Yesed Hara. Hashem will save him from sinning. And from wanting to sin. And will preserve him from suffering. And he'll be happy in the land. Everybody will give honor to him, right? What a great guy. And don't give him into the hands of his enemies. That he won't have bad enemies. Instead, he'll have good friends. It's good to have good friends like Naaman, who helped Naaman be healed from his sarat. Naaman was the uh, general of the foreign army, and when he got sarat, he didn't know what to do, and he came to the prophet Elisha. Elisha said, just go and dunk in the Jordan River. Simple solution. But Naaman said, oh, why should I listen to him? He didn't want to take his advice. But then Naaman's advisor said, what? Naaman, if Elisha asked you to do something difficult, you would have done it. So this is a simple thing. So just try it. What do you lose? 
Then Naaman uh, did so, and he got better. So you see that Naaman was lucky to have good friends around him. As opposed to having bad friends around, right? That would be, don't, don't get me into the hands of enemies. And so if you have uh, bad advisors, they are enemies, like Rechavam. Rechavam, the son of King Shalomo. King Shalomo was the king over a united kingdom, the north and the south. But King Shalomo overtaxed the north, and they were resentful about that. And so when his son became the king, the people from the north came to Rechavam and said, your father mistreated us, and uh, we'll support you if you are nicer to us. So Rechavam asked his advisors, what should he do? His older advisors, who were wise, said you should lower their taxes and treat them nicely right treat them fairly um, like you treat the southern kingdom um, but the younger advisors of Rechavam said no you should double down on the on the tax and now and you should tell them my father was uh, my father was uh, uh, was was uh, taxed you I'm gonna tax you tax you even more you should be tough-minded so Rechavam took the advice of his younger uh, advisors, and that was bad advice because um, because the Chavam was so harsh on the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom rebelled and said, we are not joining you anymore, you are not our king, and they made a separate king. So because of the young advisors of the Chavam, the kingdom was split into two. So there you go. Better have advisors of Naaman, the foreign general, than Rehavam, who uh, made a terrible t- decision that affected the whole future of the Israelite people. Tanya, Rabbi Yishimon ben Elazar Omer, Im yomidu l'chayiladim b'nei uzkenim setor shema l'zikenim, related to Rehavam, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says, if the young people tell you build, and the elders say tear down, you should listen to the elders. Now generally, it sounds like it would be better advice, better to build, right? Take something that exists exists, and fix it and make it better, rather than tear it down and start all over again. Um, but this is the power of the Zekenim, the elders who are wise, even if they tell you advice that me that me is going to mean tear down what's there and rebuild it, that is better advice. Don't take advice from people that don't have experience. Why? Because the building of, you, of young people is actually tearing down. In other words, even though it looks like, yeah, you're building and going ahead and progress and doing the next thing, but if it's based on a, a foundation that's, um, that, uh, that, that's a bad foundation, then that whole building will fall and you're just building on top of something that is not sustainable. So that building will end up being every, causing everything to, to be demolished. That's exactly what happened with the young advisors of Rechavam that said, go, keep going, uh, double down on your father's um, mean policies to the northern kingdom that was, you know, building up, but it ended up all being tor- torn down. Whereas when the elders say that you should uh, uh, deconstruct and restart, that actually is a binyan, when you're going to rebuild, but you do it on solid foundation, and even if that means now changing your mind and changing the policy from before and saying, well, okay, my father, Shalomah, he was mean to you, but I'm going to treat you fairly, even though that is an undoing, and maybe for a certain time, they'll have a short time period, they'll have less, less taxes than his father had. 
but then that'll build a solid uh, foundation and that is true building so always seek advice from the older and wiser advices do not go and visit a sick person um, they and the first three hours of the day, and not in the last three hours of the day. Um, why? That the person uh, the, who's visiting should not uh, be distracted from praying. What does this mean? Because in the first three hours of the day, after the sick person just got a good night of rest, they look so he looks a little better. So if you visit someone sick right in the morning, you're going to say, ah, he seems better. I don't think he needs my prayers. He's fine. And the opposite, if you visit someone in the last three hours of the day, when they're already the whole day, they're really tired, and they look and it look terrible, then when the visitor comes and visits him, they're going to be like, I don't know, this person's not going to make it. He has no chance. I'm not even going to bother praying for him. So rather, you should go right in the middle of the day when the person seems sickly, um, not so well, but it looks like they have a good possibility. Maybe if I pray, then they'll do better. And so that's the best time to go and visit is, is, the, is the time when they look not too great, but also not too bad. Ravin said the name of Rav. This name is going to be important because he's going to say something else on an unrelated topic of Mikveh. But first he says something about visiting the sick. How do we know that Hashem himself gives sustenance to the sick person, like directly cares about the sick person? As Basuk says in Tehilim, Hashem will support him um, upon his suffering, right? So support here, we're taking Yisadenu, is like Sa'ad, Se'uda. Happens to be the same word as we have here, we had here, La Lis'od Inish Kesira, don't visit a sick person. I think the idea is that when you came to visit a sick person, you'd also um, may, uh, bring, bring food to um, strengthen the person to have uh, some good sustenance. Okay, so Hashem directly is going to help out the poor person, the sick person. A second statement by the same sage. We learn something else from the very same pasuk is that the Shekhinah rests above the bed of the sick person, right? Um, that, you know, just like um, Hashem is more present in the Bet HaMikdash, right? And uh, in, uh, in a holy place, uh, the bed of a sick person is in, is in a sense a holy place because a sick person really needs God's help and God cares about those who are poor and, and down and out and suffering. Hashem takes special, uh, pays special attention to them and special care over them. And so, yes, that is a holy place over a person's bed. And in fact, we should recognize that and act accordingly. When you go and visit a sick person, you should not sit on a bed, not on um, a, not on a bench and not on a chair. In other words, don't sit high up. 
um, assuming, let's say, that the sick person's on a, on a mat uh, lower down, because then if you're sitting on a chair or bench that's higher than the sick person, then you are putting yourself above the Shekhinah, right? The Shekhinah is hovering right above the sick person, um, and uh, you, sh- you should recognize that and be lower down. Rather, you should wrap yourself and sit on the floor, wrap yourself. In other words, kind of cover your hair, cover your head, uh, just like you would in uh, when you're praying, and you wrap yourself with a talit, and maybe you put it over your head in order to show um, uh, 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 humility and modesty and subservience before the Shekhinah. So too, it's that holy when you go and visit a sick person and recognize that the Shekhinah is with them. And sit on the floor because the Shekhinah is above the person's bed. As it says, same Pasuk, um, Hashem supports Al, on top, literally on top of the bed of those who suffer. All right, very beautiful Agadot. Um, uh, and you know, we add to uh, it could add the idea to that that someone who's suffering, uh, you know, in person everything is great, and person feels good, then uh, he doesn't uh, necessarily uh, keep in mind Hashem's presence in his life. But when someone is suffering and he just has no one to turn to, nowhere to turn, then he um, he turns to prayer, he becomes humble, and, and then he feels and recognizes not recognizes his dependence upon Hashem greater, and that invites the Shekhinah there to help him. And now, same sage says something about a different topic altogether. If you uh, if you want to know if there, that, that there is rain in the west, meaning if you live in Bavel and you want to know if there's rain in uh, in Eretz Israel in the west, well, the witness is that the Pedat River, the Euphrates River, is great and is uh, is, is is high. Uh, why? Because if it's raining up up in the north, then that rain is going to number do two things. It's going to fill up. It's going to lead into the Euphrates and fill up the Euphrates. So if you're in Bavel, you'll see an increase in the water flow in the Euphrates River, and that same that same rain will um, also provide rainfall in Israel. Um, as uh, so that uh, when you're in Bavel and you see the you see it going up, you can be happy that your um, brethren in Israel are getting rain. Now this statement of Rav it goes against something that Shemuel said. Shemuel said that a river is blessed from its own banks, meaning from its own water sources, its own underground uh, um, aquifers that, that feed it, and that when it goes up, it's not from rainwater that comes from upstream, but rather it comes from internally, from the tributaries, the banks, the underground uh, water uh, of the river itself. Now, this is a very important machloket because it affects an extremely important halakha. And this is the halakha regarding mikvaot. The question is, what kind of body of water uh, is, a, become, is a kosher mikveh? It's defined by this pasuk here in Vayikra that says, Ach ma'ayan ubor mikveh ma'im tahor. And the rabbis identify here two types of natural bodies of water. Ma'ayan, on the one hand, is a spring. That means underground water from aquifers um, that is coming up. Now, it's true, that underground water may come from rain that went onto the ground and seeped down into the soil, and then now is, is flowing underground, but that doesn't matter, even though even if it originally came from rain or wherever it came from, from if it's coming from under the ground as a natural spring, 
That what that is a kosher mikveh, and that's kosher even if it's flowing. So you can see, get, get go to a spring, and it's coming out and flowing all over, and you can go into that mikveh even while it's flowing. That's permitted. However, bod mikveh mayim mikveh mayim means collected water. If uh, if your water source is rainwater, um, that's fine. That's kosher water. But the water has to go, and it cannot be flowing. It has to mikveh, has to collect into a cistern, into some kind of pool, and be still, or into a, into a pond or a lake, something where it collects and stops flowing, does not continue out from there. So that's two ways to make a mikveh. Usually, the the mikveh that we build are made are are filled in from rainwater. What you cannot have is drawn water. You can't put water in a bucket from any source and then and then even from an ocean or anywhere. Once you put it in a bucket and lift it, that's Mayim Sheuvin. That's for sure not good. That's the worst thing you could do. Um, uh, so one way to make a kosher mikveh is from rainwater. That's fine. Um, you can have some kind of collection receptacle on the roof or on the, the, the street and then it flows into a pool mikveh uh, and then it stops and then so now it's not flowing then you can use that for a mikveh that's fine um, but if it's if it's flowing then it has to be from underground water not from rainwater so here's the big question is can you go can you use a river as a mikveh well it depends if the mikveh is fre- is fed mostly from underground aqua uh, aquifer water then that's permitted because that's spring water even though it's flowing but if the river is fed mostly by rainwater or snow on mountains that it was rainwater and uh, that in the snow melts and then that's flowing in the river if the river is mostly rainwater it cannot be used as a mikveh because it's not collected it's flowing and therefore this makes a big difference if you follow Rav who says that when you see the Euphrates River going up, then you know it's raining. According to Rav, if you see a river that's higher than usual, that means, or and or if it's in the rainy season, then you know that this is because of rainwater, and you cannot use it as, as a mikveh. Whereas Shemuel disagrees, and he says, no, when you see the Euphrates or any river going up, rivers are fed, are blessed by their own waters, their own underground waters, and it's not a sign that it's raining upstream. And so according to Shemuel, you should be allowed to use a river anytime, whereas according to Rav, uh, using a river during the rainy season or after the rainy season, soon after the rainy season, would be prohibited. All right, very fundamental machloket. And now we're going to see that Shemuel contradicts another statement that he himself said. He says, um, water uh, does not purify when it is flowing. Unless it's the Euphrates River during Tishrei. Now, during Tishrei, that's right after the summer. In the summer, it doesn't rain. And therefore, the Euphrates, um, right after the summer, you know that any river there was from underground natural water and not from rainwater. That's why it's permitted. But otherwise, if you go to the Euphrates during the winter or during the spring, 
after the rainy season, then it's not permitted. So you see that this, these two statements of Shemuel contradict each other. First, he says that uh, a river comes from its own blessing, from its own uh, banks and own underground water. But then he, Shemuel says it's prohibited to use, a, uh, to use the Euphrates um, except after the summer, which means he would agree with Rav that the rain, the rain does fill up the um, the, uh, the 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 does fill up the river. Okay, we don't resolve this. Instead, we actually bring another testimony, Avud de Shmuel of the father of Shmuel, that also agreed with Rav and the second statement of Shmuel that rivers are a problem on certain times of the year. So uh, Shmuel wanted to make sure that his daughters had proper mikvaot, and so and during the sun, which is after the winter, that's after the rainy season, and that rain is still flowing from uh, from a farther uh, from farther north. And so during that time, he told his daughters, "You can't go in the river." Instead, he would he would make a, a, a ritual baths where he would collect the water so that they could go into a mikveh and not use the river. But in Tishrei, after the summer, after the dry season, when you know that the water is not coming from rain, then he would say, "Yes, you can go into the river." It's just that he would put mats there because uh, the bottom of the river is all muddy, and if they put their feet in the mud, that will be a chatzitza, an interposition between the water and their skin. So we'd have the mats, but otherwise the river, is, the river would be okay. Good. Okay, this is a important halacha said today. Uh, we had a question some uh, just not not a long time ago about someone who was traveling where there was no uh, regular mikveh to go to, and they wanted to go in a river. And this was the exact question of that river: Does it is it uh, closed? Uh, does it flow? Where does the water come from? Was it the rainy season? And so you have to know a lot about rivers in order to decide that halacha. We're now returning to Agada and here the Bi'ameh says something in the name of Rav. It's not clear why we're quoting this. It has nothing to do with Mikvaot, nor does it have to do with visiting the sick. Uh, so it must have to do with the person's name. But here we have it to be Ameh in the name of Rav. And up above we had a series of statements by Ravin in the name of Rav. So what is this doing here? In fact, if you look at all manuscripts, they do not have the, uh, the be Ameh, but rather Ravin also here. So this should be, this should be the Amar Ravin, Amar Rav. And that makes sense. We're continuing to quote the same uh, sage's name about another matter. So he's asking, what does Pasuk in Yechazkel mean? Hashem tells Yechazkel, go and get some uh, instrument implements of exile. Uh, he's told to go and get a camping bag and fill it up with the things that you need when you're going into exile, when you're going to be on the run. Uh, you know, essential items that you'll need to survive when you're on, a, on an island uh, with nothing else. Uh, so what are those key items? Why was Yechazkel told that? Because he's supposed to walk around with these items, with his uh, sleeping bag and uh, Swiss Army knife. And everybody's like, what, 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 what's happening? Where are you going? Going camping? He says, no, we're, going into, we're all going into exile. Okay, so that, that's the point of the message. So what are those major things that you'd need the most? Zoner u'ke'ara ve'shatiyach. So that would be a, um, a lamp. 
<clears throat> so you could see a night a bowl, so you can eat, and a shatiach, something that you can, a rug that you can rest on, a sleeping bag. Okay, now we, um, we're going to interpret another pasuk. Uh, it also talks about basic fundamental needs. In Sefer Devarim, where it's talking about in the curses, it says uh, you're going to serve your enemy, uh, Shem is going to send you in thirst and hunger and nakedness and want of all things. Bechoser kol. So what does that mean? Bechoser kol. How can you be lacking in everything, right? Even a poor person has something. What does it mean to lack everything? Amar Amar Ner Shulchan. So Rav says this means if you don't have those very items that we just mentioned above, again it'll be should be Rabin in the name of Rav. If you don't have a lantern and you don't have a table, so then you have nothing. What are you going to do? That's like uh, that's being without anything. That's what the refers to. But there's other opinions. Rav Amar Isha. If someone doesn't have a wife, that then they have nothing. They might have everything else in the world but no wife that's it they're homeless they're nobody Rav Shashat Amar Shamash Rav Shashat had a, maybe a higher standard of living and if you don't have an attendant to take care of your needs then that's lacking everything Rav Nachman Amar Tana Melach Revav Nachman says without wisdom intelligence if someone doesn't have intelligence then all the other things they won't even know how to use it how to enjoy it um, another Braita says without uh, salt and without, without fat in other words, the enjoyment of life you might have just some dry bread, but uh, dry bread, that's nothing, right? You need some taste, uh, salt or, or fat to uh, make the bread edible. But to support the statement of Rav Nachman here, Abaye says that a poor person is only someone who lacks intelligence, right? Every people have more or less material things, but intelligence, that's the main thing. So in the West also, they say the same thing. Someone who has this, meaning intelligence, he has everything because then he knows. He knows uh, with whatever means that he has, he knows how to use them, he knows how to invest them and make the best of it and he can figure out a situation if you have intelligence. But if you don't have intelligence, then even if you have a lot of luck and, and material benefit, but then you waste it all, uh, you, uh, you, uh, you um, invested in bad things, you don't even know how to use it, you can't enjoy it without any intelligence. So therefore, if you acquire this, what's lacking? If you do not have this, then what have you acquired? All right, a nice uh, formulation to teach the importance of wisdom and intelligence over material gain. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.